much insight, doesn't it? And when I look back in my life, I see so many of these different crossroads where I had this choice. Am I going to step out in faith? Am I going to believe God? Am I going to grab a hold of God and hold on to God in the midst of this? Or am I just going to go through the motions? I'm going to, am I going to just do what everybody else does? I'm going to start living my life by faith. For me, one of the first major ones in my life, when, when I was a junior in college, and, and it was at this crossroads that really kind of set the tone for the rest of my life. Do, do, do any of you journal? Any, any of you journalers out there? Now, I, I don't journal like as a, I write in my journal every day. I tend to write down things that are kind of monumental in my life. I, I remember reading, even when I was a young kid, and I, I don't know how this got inside of me, but, but when, you, when you read the Old Testament, every time somebody would experience something significant with God, do you remember what they would do? They would, they would build an altar. They would stop, they'd get some stones, and so if, the, if this was the place they met God, they would, they would build a little altar of stones, and so, so, and then they would give it a name. And so every time that they would pass by those stones, they would remind it, this is what God did. God came through, and he provided for me in this situation. It was a reminder. And I was thinking, well, how do we do that in our lives now? It doesn't do me any good to just put a bunch of rocks someplace because I may not ever be there again, <laughs> you know? And so, and so this is, that's when I started just writing. I thought, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write down these different monumental things that God does in my soul. I can always remember and reflect. I'm just so glad that I've done that over the years. And so if you'll bear with me, I want to read, read you from this major crossroads in my life. You, you okay with that? Yeah. All right. Bear with me here. <clears throat> this is what I wrote. So... The snow had begun to fall, not one of those intrusive snowstorms that was accompanied by howling winds and stifling blizzards that we were used to. Now, this is Colorado. We're not in Texas anymore, so you may have not have experienced this, but maybe you can imagine. But it was one of those dreamlike snows where the snowflakes were the size of silver dollars gracefully floating to the earth. Light from the street lamps danced off each unique form, creating a dazzling view of harmony and story-like mystique. The wind was still, and the rhythm of the giant snowflakes ushered in a reverent hush over the plains of Colorado. It was a night that every kid dreamed would arrive on Christmas Eve. It was perfect. Inside the church, my family and I had come for Christmas Eve program, which was comprised of a lot of singing and storytelling, to be followed later by one of those famous church potlucks. My sisters and I had just made it back from college, and so like usual, my parents were proudly showing us off to their friends. I grew up in an incredibly musical family, and so every chance my mom would get, we were up front playing some instrument or singing or some combination of both, all of which were incredibly embarrassing, but just knowing that it made my mom and dad and grandma and granddad beam with pride made it all worth it. Tonight was no different, except I was different. I didn't want to be there. Church was the last place I wanted to be talking with people, putting a smile on my face, singing songs about God's faithfulness and salvation, his love for mankind, not at all what I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was run away and be alone. Over the past year and a half, I had gotten used to running away, and as a result, loneliness had become my worst enemy. But in some strange twist of somebody's imagination, loneliness had also become my closest companion. It wasn't always that way. I grew up in a middle-class home on the plains of Colorado. I never remember going without, and every Christmas seemed to bring its share of fulfilled expectations. 
For the most part, my childhood was filled with fantastic memories, and God had always been a part of my life. It was expected. Church every Sunday, vacation Bible school in the summer, memorizing scripture, knowing the books of the Bible from memory, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I was a walker, and this was part of my heritage. It wasn't something to rebel against since everything seemed to be pretty grand, and so even my teenage years brought only a little hardship on my parents. However, when I got to college, things began to change, not immediately and not even knowingly, but nevertheless, there was an unseen hand in my life directing me towards a pit that would completely catch me off guard. I ended up at a Christian university in Oklahoma not to pursue any type of future ministry calling. As a matter of fact, that was the furthest thing from my mind. After all, people who become pastors were those guys who couldn't do anything else with their lives, right? And so ministry wasn't ever a possibility in my mind. I went to this Christian university simply because I felt like I was supposed to go there. I started out my college years as an overachiever majoring in pre-med and computer science because that was expected of me, or at least those were the expectations that I had placed on myself. I soon realized, however, that neither of those careers was for me, and somehow after three years of aimless wandering, I ended up majoring in international business. I say all this Because unknown to me at the time, there were lots of areas in my life that were being driven by false expectations and the opinions of others, the foremost being my relationship and view of God. And so when things began to happen in my life that I didn't understand, when things began to not make sense, when God began to not answer my prayers, when heaven became silent, it started a downward spiral that continued for almost 18 months. I didn't need it. I don't need to bore you with the gruesome details of my downward spiral because I'm sure you've had your share of difficulty as well. And my point is not to compare whose life is worse, yours or mine. The point that I wanted to make of this season in my life was not so much about my downward spiral, but my growing disillusionment with God. After all, isn't God supposed to save us from all of this? Isn't he our helper in time of need? Isn't he supposed to be our comforter? Isn't he supposed to speak to us and tell us what to do? But for 18 months, God remained silent. Except for one time, when I was crying out to him to intervene my life, I thought I heard him say, seek me more. Seek me as if you're seeking for silver or for gold. My only thought was, you got to be kidding. Seek you more. I need you now. I need you to change things now. I don't like the way I feel. I need you to change things now. Ever been there? But heaven was quiet. During these months, more times than I can remember, I cried myself to sleep. Now, you need to understand that that was a new phenomenon for me. Before this, I never cried. Actually, a year earlier, I was in Germany on a missions trip and in a church service when the thought came to me, when was the last time you cried? I couldn't remember the last time I cried. After all, guys aren't supposed to cry, right? Buck up, shake it off, get a backbone. Whether this was intentional coaching from others in my life or whether there was something I had adopted as a life value, it nevertheless had become deeply ingrained in my psyche. And it wasn't until that evening in Germany that I realized that I never cry, never For the first time in my life, I realized that my heart had become completely hardened. With that new information, the revelation that a hardened heart was not a good thing, I began to pray that God would soften my heart. I would pray Psalms 53, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, 
The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now, I had no idea what it meant to have a broken and contrite heart and what it would take for me to get to that point. And little did I know that the simple prayer was going directly before the throne room of God and being answered. But in my dorm room, all alone, crying in my bed, desperate for God to intervene in my life, none of this made sense. My prayers from a year ago meant nothing. All I wanted was relief. All I wanted was for my depressive feelings to go away. But heaven was silent. And slowly my frustration turned to anger. And then my anger turned to desperation. And my desperation turned to the disillusionment. And finally on that Christmas Eve, while everyone else was rejoicing and having a gay old time, my disillusionment turned to hopelessness. In the middle of people singing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, I remember saying, God, I give up. I've been crying out for you for over a year and nothing has changed. And so I give up. I give up hope that anything will change. No sooner had those words come out of my mouth than I saw a vision. It's hard for me to completely relate what I saw, but in that instance, I saw a little boy standing in front of what looked like a wall, tears streaming down his face. He couldn't get over or around the wall, and so in his frustration and anger, he was standing there beating his fists against the wall, crying out to God. The boy's anger and desperation heightened, and he beat his fists even more furiously against the wall. And then it was as if the angle of the video camera panned out, and I saw a bigger picture of what was really going on. What initially looked like a wall was actually the chest of God. And so I saw the arms of God begin to wrap around the little boy. The embrace became tighter and tighter until the little boy was unable to thrash his arms anymore against the wall. With his arms pinned against his body from the tight embrace of God's arms, the little boy finally stopped thrashing about and looked up, and there he saw the face of God. And in that moment, he realized where he was in the arms of God. As soon as I saw that vision, something broke inside of me. I knew I was that little boy and that God had had me in his arms all along. It was my fighting and my thrashing about that was causing the damage in me and prolonging God's work in my life. Because all along, I was right in the arms of God, right where he wanted me. And in that moment, I heard the voice of God again. After 18 long, agonizing months, God said, Russ, I love you so much. And you know what? That's all I needed to hear. Immediately, I was flooded with such a sense of God's amazing love for me. You know, it's one thing to know that God loves you. It's quite another thing to experience God's love for yourself. I had grown up knowing a lot about God, forming a lot of thoughts about God and what he was like and how he was supposed to act in our lives. I had a lot of strong opinions about God. But in that moment, everything changed for me. I felt like Job when he was at the end of his breaking. I'm convinced God, you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You ask, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit it. I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen, and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. I admit, I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand. For my own eyes and ears, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll, I'll never do that again, I promise. I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay, crumbs of rumor. 
When we live by rumors and crust of hearsay of God, we never enter into this magnanimous, adventurous relationship with the all-powerful creator of the universe who loves us more than any of us can truly imagine. But when we experience God for ourselves and who he truly is, it forever changes your life. The Apostle John wrote, from the first day we were there, taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, we saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us, this experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. When you truly experience God for yourself, everything changes. All of a sudden, the limits that you placed on yourself and the limits that you placed on God, knowingly or unknowingly, these limits fall off our lives. In Acts chapter 12, the story of King Herod imprisoning Peter, and it says this. When Herod was about to bring him out, tonight Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. The guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and, and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to them, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street. Immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. God is in the business of shattering the chains in our lives that are holding us down and delivering us from the expectations of people that are limiting our potential and keeping us from experiencing all that God has for our lives. This was my crossroad, one of many that you'll hear in years to come. But this one was so incredibly significant for me because it made me address all my preconceived ideas that I had about myself and my future, and even probably more importantly, my preconceived ideas that I had about God. And it launched me then into a life of taking these faith steps. And it put inside of me this passion that I still carry to this day. So I want you to think about this, because what would your life look like if it was freed from the expectation of others? What would your life look like if your life was freed from the expectations of others? What would your life look like to be freed from the expectations that you have of yourself? <laughs> what would your life look like to be freed from those hurts and wounds that are keeping you imprisoned and stuck in that rut? What would your life look like? What would your life look like if you lived your life without any limits. I want to suggest to all of us here this morning that we succumb to all sorts of limits that are put on our life. Whether you put it, whether others put, on it, put it, we very quickly start living within the rut 
that's been prescribed for our lives. And that's exactly what Jabez was experiencing. Look at this again in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9. It says, his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez's name literally means in the Hebrew language, pain. It was customary in those times for the parents to give the child a name that had to deal with the environment that was going on, the situation that was happening there, and they would name their child that as a marker. Well, in this situation, whatever happened in the birthing of Jabez or in the process of her being pregnant or, or deciding to have this son, she names him Jabez, which means pain. Can you imagine going through your entire life being called pain? Now, I know some of you have been called a pain in the neck, right? But for him, he is, you are pain. And so when his mom said, hey, pain, come here. Hey, pain, it's time to get to, it's time to wake up. Hey, pain, it's time for dinner. Every single moment of every day, he was reminded of the pain that he had caused the people around him. Talk about limits on your life. Talk about living by the expectations of others. Talk about past hurts and wounds. Talk about getting stuck in the rut. This was Jabez. But he had something come and start stirring inside of him to, to begin to pray this crazy faith-filled prayer. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Listen, I believe there's something in every single one of us that wants to live beyond ourselves and beyond the expectations of others. I believe it's in you. You may have let it go dormant. You may have quieted those voices. But I believe there's something inside of us that wants to live beyond ourselves and beyond the expectations of I believe there's something inside of every one of us that realizes that our lives are meant for more than what we're currently experiencing what our life currently looks like. I believe there's something inside of you that knows there's something more. I believe there's something inside of us that knows that God really wants to do amazing things in and through our lives. I believe it's in you. I believe it's in me. And there's a word that I believe really describes this. That word is audacious. I love the meaning of audacious. Audacious means one who is bold or daring, especially with confident disregard for personal comfort or conventional thought. That's really good. Because so many of us, we succumb to personal comfort and we live our life just trying to make sure we're, we have personal comfort. I, I want to make sure I feel comfortable. I want to make sure my life is comfortable. Or we succumb to conventional thought, how to do things, how your life should be, how it should fall, fall out in, in line with all these different expectations. So many of us live within the limits of personal comfort and conventional thought, but audacious means one who is bold or daring, especially with confident disregard for personal comfort or conventional thought. Listen to me, that's how God wants us to live our lives. And that's how God wants you to live your life. He wants us to live our lives with this audacious faith. The problem, though, is that I think somehow, some way, so many of us, we believe the lie that following Jesus Christ is dull and boring. So many of us, we, we, we believe the lie. But there's absolutely nothing dull or boring about authentic Christianity. Now, I get it. There's a lot of things that are dull and boring about church and about religion. But authentic Christianity is audacious faith. 
Authentic Christianity is based on audacious. It's what it is. That's what it, our lives should be. Your life should be audacious. Because it's, it's this audacious faith that caused Peter to get out of the water and to walk on the water. It caused Peter to get out of the boat and to walk on the water. It's what caused Peter and John to stop by that lame man that they had seen every single day, probably of their lives, that was there begging for alms in the front of the sanctuary. But it was audacious faith that caused Peter and John to stop and say, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That was audacious faith. It was audacious faith that caused the woman with the issue of the blood to reach out and grab a hold of the hem of Jesus. It was audacious faith that caused the centurion to tell Jesus, just speak the word. That's all you need to do, just speak the word. Because if you'll just speak the word, I know that that word will raise my son from the dead who has just died. That's audacious faith. And you know what? It was audacious faith that caused Jabez to pray this radical prayer. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil and cause me to no longer, that I may not cause pain. Think about this. Because Jabez could have lived his entire life based upon the rut that was defined for him. He could have just been another name in a list of a whole bunch of different names. He could have let the pain of his past and the expectations of others limit and define his life. But instead, he chose to be audacious. He chose to be audacious. And you know what? You and I, we can do that very same thing. Audacious faith is not just something for the people in the Bible that you read about. Audacious faith is the stuff that triggers ordinary people like you and me to start living with unusual boldness. Audacious faith is the confident disregard for the status quo that's happening in your life and the world around us. Audacious faith is saying enough is enough and believing in the more, grabbing holding of the more that God has for your life. Listen, you may feel unprepared. You may feel unqualified. You may feel like you don't have enough faith, but I have some great news for you here this morning because you are a perfect candidate for audacious faith. You see, too often, I think we just settle for less, think that we don't have enough, think we don't have enough faith, but let me just tell you this morning, you already have enough faith to move mountains. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now let that sink into you because God has already given you a measure of faith. If you started this journey with Jesus Christ, if you asked Jesus to come into your life, God has already deposited into you a measure of faith. You already have everything you need to step into the purpose and destiny and the call that God has on your life. You already have enough faith to move mountains. That's what Jesus said. Look what just a little bit of faith does. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here and there, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. It doesn't take a lot of faith to move mountains. Can anybody see this? Can you see this? There is a mustard seed inside of this 
little jar. It's in there. Can you see it? It's itty bitty, teeny weeny. And Jesus said, that's all it takes. That's all it takes to release the impossible in your life. And the spectacular thing is, he's already given it to you. It's not about whether you have enough. You have enough. And so this excuse that you've been using, that I just don't have enough faith, it's invalid. It's not true. Because all you need is an itty-bitty, teeny-weeny bit of faith to move mountains. And God already says, I've given you enough. The only thing missing is you got to use it. <laughs> you got to act on it. you got to step out in faith. And just, it just takes a little bit of faith to do the impossible. When you came in here this morning, you should have received one of these. Everybody get one of these? If you didn't get one of these, what? raise your hand. I'll make sure the ushers get one for you. If you didn't get one of these, raise your hand, okay? But here's the thing. Here's what I did. I took Jabez's prayer, which has five different aspects to this, and I rewrote it into a 31-day devotional and put it in here for you just to expand Jabez's faith-filled prayer. And what I want to ask you to do is to take this devotional and every single day for the next 31 days to begin just to pray this these 31-day things. And it's just taking Jabez's prayer and just expanding those five sections. And what I want to ask you to do is I want you to get in a place where you can say it out loud. So don't just read this in your head, but say it out loud. Because so, what's going to happen, here's what you need to know about faith. You have enough faith, but so much of life comes in and pushes it down. That's what happens. And so what you're trying to do is get rid of that junk that's pushing down on your faith so that faith can stand strong, stand tall in your life. And so I believe as you, as you begin to just declare these things, begin to pray these things out loud, take the next 31 days and pray these Jabez faith-filled prayers as well. That's number one. The second thing I want to ask you to do is the first week of September, you've heard us talk about if you've been around here the last couple of weeks, the first week of September is kind of the launch of all things fall. And you have kids, or you've ever had kids, or been a part, fall, the beginning of fall is just like the beginning of life. It's just starting. Everything's starting over. Everything's kind of getting into the rhythm again. Summer kind of, we all kind of get disconglobulated, or whatever that is, and, and we kind of, we, uh, there's no order in our life. But fall kind of puts those things back in. And so the first week of September, this sanctuary will be open every morning, Monday through Friday, from 6 to 7 o'clock in the morning. From si I said 6 o'clock until 7 in the morning. And what I want to encourage you to do is come during that week and begin to pray your own at Jabez Parish. We're gonna, you'll have your own individual time. We'll come together, we'll pray, and we'll declare things. But I'm believing that, that for this launching season in your life, where God's going to shift whatever season you're coming out of, whether it's been a good or a bad season, I'm believing God to shift that season in you for it to be a launching season. And the beginning of the first week of September is a great time to be able to do it. As well, when you leave here this morning, I want to put one of these in your hands. The ushers are going to hand one of these to you when you walk out of here this morning. Because I want you to see how tiny a mustard seed is. Jesus said, if you have just the faith of a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain and say, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing is impossible. And I want you to see what your faith can do if you'll just use it, activate it, and step out into it. Are you with me? Are you ready for a new season in your life? Let's pray here together. 
Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for, for initiating initiating this, this season for us. And Lord, I know for so many people, this past season has been a season of darkness, a season of disillusionment, a season of hopelessness, a season of loss, a season of questioning, a season of being stuck in the mud and being stuck in a rut. I know for so many of us, that's what this past season has been. But God, I'm so thankful that you're the one who shifts the seasons in our life. And Lord, I'm praying for that reality to happen for every person in this room and every person who hears my voice. That God, there would be a shifting of seasons that would happen where faithlessness was profound and dominant in that past season. That Lord, I'm asking that faith would arise in every man and in every woman and every young person, that the doubt and unbelief that's been crowding out faith, the situations that have been crowding out faith and vision, purpose, call, and destiny, that God, that, those, that, that doubt would, would just dissipate. And God, just as you spoke that vision and that word to me so many years ago, God, where you grabbed a hold of me, Lord, I pray that you do that very same thing with every person in here. Regardless of what's happening, Lord, that you take a hold just like you did with me and just squeeze them tight to their che your chest. That, God, they would stop thrashing about. They would stop, they would stop all, this, this, the, all that internal turmoil that's going on inside of their lives. And they would stop. They would be able to look up, to be still, to know that you are God that you have us in your hands. Lord, I'm looking with anticipation. Lord, I'm looking with excitement of what you have in store for this next season of our lives. And Lord, just as you said that our, our mourning will turn into gladness. Lord, I pray that that would take place, that joy vision, purpose, call, destiny would begin to be launched out of every one of our lives. God, I thank you. I thank you for this. I thank you for this next season, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We're going to take communion here together. And I always think that one of the things that we struggle with so much is finding God in the midst of what it is that we're going through. And I love communion so much because Jesus said, I want you to do this every single time you get together. He knew we would need landmarks in our life to remind us. Just as I told you before, how they did in, in the Old Testament, they would build rocks to create an altar. I tell you how I, I do it in my own life by just writing we need landmarks that anchor our lives. And Jesus said, when we come together to remember this incredible covenant, and this is what this is about. You may have come to church before. You may have been trying to figure out what this is even going on here this morning. Why, why do we sing songs? Why do we read the Bible? Why, why does somebody get up there and just talk to us? But here's, here's why. We're remembering and we're reminding, we're encouraging each other with the reality of God. In the midst of the world that around us is changing very quickly. 
And all of you who are 40 and older know how quickly it is that's changing around us. But in the midst of change that's constant, there's an anchor to our souls that hooks us into a stability that no matter what else happens, that God is, he is in control, he's working, he hasn't left, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. What an incredible reality that we get to be a part of. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He willingly went to the cross. He willingly gave his life so that we could know God and experience God. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. We get to celebrate the incredible relationship that we can now have with God because of what Jesus did. That we don't have to try to earn our way. Our works can't get us closer to God. Jesus made a way. And so that's why we can run it to God. This is a covenant that Jesus said, covenant full of grace, a covenant full of mercy, a covenant, covenant full of forgiveness. If we'll draw near to him, he draws near to us. If we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. This is the covenant that we get to enjoy, that we get to step into because of what Jesus did. This is an amazing adventure. This is why I just would like to grab every one of your shoulders and say, wake up. Because this adventure that God has for you, there's nothing that this world can do to replace it or to mimic it in any sort of way. This is this, this what God has. It's just, it's an amazing thing. And just as I have experienced, I want you to be able to experience this incredible relationship that we have with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. And so as you come forward here this morning, how we're going to do this, there's a station in front of each of these two sections. And you're going to exit on your right, starting with the front row. We'll move on back. You'll just circle around, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then take it back to your seats. We celebrate open, open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member here of this church. This is not something that one chapel does. This is something that Jesus has set for every one of us. And so if you are a believer in Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you to come and celebrate and to remind yourself and just to recommit yourself through this incredible covenant that Jesus has ignited for us. Let's do this here together.